You're listening to Book Insights, brought to you by Memoed. Finding and simplifying the world's most powerful ideas to fit into your lifestyle. Each episode is a deep dive into a nonfiction bestseller that can change your life or make you think. In around 30 minutes, you'll learn all about a book that offers wisdom for your life, career, or business. So get ready to live and work smarter, better, and happier with Book Insights. What would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? It's the million-dollar question asked in so many self-help books. Now scrap that. Consider this instead. What would you risk doing fully knowing that you might fail? That is the secret to creative contentment, according to author Elizabeth Gilbert. By this, she means to create something you love so much, you'd keep making it and sharing it, regardless of whether you succeed or fail. But is it really that simple or even possible? Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear, straddles spiritualism, writing advice, and personal development. Gilbert gives a crash course on how to live a creative life, from working in the face of fear to dealing with rejection and self-doubt. Let's now delve deeper and discover whether your own fears hold you back. From here, Gilbert will help coax out your creativity and realize your potential. But first, who is the author and why should we listen to her? Gilbert was born in Connecticut in 1969. She majored in political science at New York University while doggedly writing short stories outside her studies. She worked as a journalist in New York before one of her articles in GQ about her past bartending experiences was adapted into the 2000 film Coyote Ugly. She's written eight books, most notably Eat, Pray, Love, a 2006 memoir recounting her post-divorce adventures across Italy, India, and Indonesia. The book was a runaway success, selling over 12 million copies and spending 187 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list. Like Coyote Ugly, it was also turned into a Hollywood blockbuster, starring Julia Roberts. Despite its success, Eat, Pray, Love divided people. While fans saw it as a cultural touchstone for self-discovery and spiritual enlightenment, critics took umbrage with the privilege that enabled Gilbert to take a year-long trip, the proliferation of cultural stereotypes, and irresponsible tourism. Committed, her 2010 follow-up memoir, was based around her decision to marry Jose Nunes, or Felipe, from Eat, Pray, Love, whom she met in Bali. Other books followed, including critically acclaimed novel The Signature of All Things, but it was the 2015 release of Big Magic that catapulted Gilbert into the self-help sphere. Since publication, Gilbert has become a creative and spiritual guru, speaking on Oprah's The Life You Want tour, giving TED Talks, and teaming up with author Cheryl Strayed of Wild fame to launch the Brave Magic Creativity Retreat. Months after Gilbert's marriage to Nunes ended, she announced she was in a relationship with her best friend, Rhea Elias, who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Following Elias's death in January 2018, a grieving Gilbert wrote her latest novel, City of Girls, and found the writing process a healing experience. In this book, Insight, we'll explore four keys to creative living drawn from Gilbert's lessons and examples. They are, first, why a creative life should be driven by curiosity, not fear. Second, how creativity transcends science and reason. Third, 
why perseverance is more important than perfectionism. Fourth, how to trust in your work and yourself. Bruce Springsteen once wrote an entire album based on a John Steinbeck novel. Picasso dabbled in ceramics. Madeline Langle overcame writer's block by playing the piano. J.K. Rowling racked up very high overdue library fines from her voracious love of reading. These examples demonstrate Gilbert's philosophy that creativity is driven by curiosity. However, creativity isn't restricted to the arts, she caveats. It could be as simple as taking up a sport as a hobby rather than to win medals. It is making choices that bring you happiness, regardless of what people say. Sometimes those choices aren't easy. Whether she's talking work or play, the biggest obstacle to creativity is fear of rejection, of criticism, of ridicule. Gilbert rejects the idea of eradicating fear entirely, as this can unintentionally kill creativity. Instead, you should recognize your fear, acknowledge it, and make space for it, but don't allow it to dictate your choices. Appeal to its better nature, she says, but with the authority of a negotiator in a hostage situation. Gilbert seemingly ignores the fact that fears are most often irrational, but then again, hostage-takers are hardly rational either. Here is Gilbert herself speaking with Krista Tippett on the On Being podcast. If you can figure out how to hold the reins of other people's fear, then you can control them for a while. Um, And so one of the very most powerful ways to not end up being controlled by that is to remain more curious than you are afraid. There are some inconsistencies in Gilbert's own story, and at times she oversimplifies things. As a child suffering from anxiety, she says her parents' tough love helped her beat her fears. If she was scared to get in the ocean, they'd take her swimming. If she was fearful of the snow, they'd hand her a shovel. She then describes overcoming bouts of anxiety as a teenager by simply realizing fear was boring. Further recollections of depression, anxiety, and shame sit alongside claims of living life in a state of stubborn gladness. But the assertion that someone with an acute anxiety disorder can snap out of it by simply thinking fear is boring doesn't quite align with clinical understanding of the condition. However, the contradictions don't fully detract from the validity of her point. It's your creativity and not your fear that is original and interesting and therefore worth cultivating. The hardest fear to overcome, she writes, is failure. Gilbert says that at some point, you will fail. Creativity is a risk, and sometimes the gamble doesn't pay off. She refers to the time she threw away an entire completed book because, according to her, it didn't work. Failure can quickly spiral into disappointment, shame, and inertia, but it's important to realize that it is just your ego that is wounded. Your ego is greedy for reward, she writes, but no amount of reward will ever satisfy the greed. One way to keep this in check is to nourish your soul, which desires only wonder. And since creativity is the gateway to wonder, you can take refuge in your work. Forget about the project that didn't work out. Let it go and move on. Just keep working. Often, people give up when the creative process stops being easy, when insecurity, demotivation, or embarrassment about their work creeps in. It's then that you need courage most. 
because if you give up at that point, you'll miss out on the interesting part. It's only when you push through the discomfort that you'll reach the transformative part of creative work, Gilbert's big magic. Let's take a break. Next time, we'll continue our dive into Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic by learning about perseverance. We'll discuss how creativity transcends science and reason. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memodapp.com slash insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. We are continuing our exploration into Elizabeth Gilbert's bestseller, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. Last time, we discussed the value of curiosity in creating art. In this part, we'll learn the relationship between science and creativity. We'll also discuss perseverance and perfection. Creativity is not science. It transcends logic and reason. Gilbert's philosophy is rooted in the magical. Creativity is the supernatural over science, the divine over reason, transcendence over logic. She believes that ideas are alive and have willpower. They exist as a disembodied energetic life form floating through the ether in search of a human being willing to realize them. Here is Gilbert on the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett. Ideas are conscious and living and they have will and they have great desire to be made and they spin through the cosmos looking for human collaborators. Consider this. Have you ever had a flash of inspiration on a novel to write only to read that very book written by someone else months later? Perhaps you've seen a movie with a plot you'd recently considered yourself. If you don't grasp an idea and cultivate it to its final outcome, whatever that may be, that idea will continue searching for someone else who will. Gilbert draws upon her own experiences here to illustrate the point. In 2006, she flirted with the idea of writing a nonfiction book about the gritty history of Newark, New Jersey, and the efforts of the new mayor, Cory Booker, to transform the city. She even had a name in mind, Brick City, but commitments prevented her from writing it. Three years later, the Sundance Channel aired Brick City, a documentary about Newark, its past, and Cory Booker's efforts to inspire change. Previously, a friend of Ozzy Osbourne insisted Gilbert should write about the rock musician and his zany family because of their outlandish home life. She was momentarily intrigued, but never gave it another thought, until reality series The Osbournes caught her eye on MTV. Bad timing or not being the right person will prevent you from being receptive to certain ideas. However, if you are inadvertently closed off to inspiration, Gilbert advises, keep your eyes open, listen, follow your curiosity, ask questions, sniff around, remain open. While her theories may not resonate with scientific-minded readers, you can't dispute the logic of remaining inquisitive and open-minded. Gilbert does attempt to ground her beliefs in science at one point. 
She recalls a time when she neglected an idea for a novel set in the Amazon for so long it left her, and instead transmitted to her friend, novelist Anne Patchett. Gilbert frames this revelation in the context of multiple discovery, the idea that independent scientists make the same scientific discovery simultaneously. Consider calculus, discovered by both Isaac Newton and Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, and the theory of evolution, developed by both Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace. Gilbert explains this phenomenon as inspiration hedging its bets, fiddling with the dials, working two channels at the same time. She believes her best example is American poet Ruth Stone. As a child, Stone would have to sprint to find pencil and paper any time a poem charged noisily toward her like a galloping horse. If she wasn't quick enough, the poem would pass through her and race towards another poet. Occasionally, she would be able to catch the poem by the tail and drag the words back to her, writing the poem backward from the last word to the first. If the initial idea is magic, then the creative process is magical. Imagine an instance when you were so immersed in creating something, a story, a painting, an artwork, that you don't even remember producing it. Perhaps you lost track of time or forgot to stop for lunch. Whatever guides you in these instances is mysterious and unexplainable. Gilbert here references eudaimonia, the ancient Greek word for the highest state of human happiness, which translates into modern thinking as being in the creative zone. The Romans called it your genius, your guardian deity, the conduit of your inspiration. In short, you wouldn't say an extraordinarily talented person was a genius. You'd say they had genius. Gilbert believes this separation between an artist and their art meant that if their art failed, it didn't mean they themselves had failed. The same applies for success. Gilbert highlights the unpredictable nature of eudaimonia. The genius comes and goes, with no regard for time of day. Have you ever woken at 3 a.m. filled with inspiration? Did you think to yourself, I must jot that idea down, only to have completely forgotten about it by morning? Gilbert recalls an instance where she fell asleep on a train, only to dream an entire short story. Upon waking, she quickly wrote it down, and it was perfect. But it was a one-off encounter that she hasn't experienced since. So next time inspiration wakes you, write that idea down there and then. Most importantly, be grateful. It's a privilege to engage with creativity. It's also an enigma. Gilbert states that I don't need to know why we are sometimes able to converse freely with inspiration when at other times we labor hard in solitude and come up with nothing. I don't need to know why an idea visited you today and not me, or why it visited us both, or why it abandoned us both. Essentially, go with the flow. Gilbert mentions how the musician Tom Waits revealed that while some songs came to him easily, others are like digging potatoes out of the ground. Some songs stick, others scare easily, a few need a firm hand. Then there are those that don't respond to any cajoling or talking to. These are the ones you have to let go. 
Don't overthink it or try to force it. Trust that if it's the right time, that idea will be born. If it isn't, it won't. With the Renaissance came a more rational, humanist way of thinking. This came along with the belief that an artist was a genius rather than had genius, as the Greeks and Romans believed. This change in thought broke down the distance between an artist and their art, effectively putting the artist on a pedestal. Gilbert cites Harper Lee, who was scared to write another book after her Pulitzer Prize-winning To Kill a Mockingbird. Lee's exact words were, When you're at the top, there's only one way to go. However, Gilbert rejects the binary of success and failure, believing that it pits creatives not only against one another, but also against themselves. Her solution is to write only for the pleasure of the act of writing in itself. The joy it may bestow on others is an added bonus. Perfectionism is a curse for writers, and Gilbert illustrates this through the works of Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. In the philosopher's Meditations, which he never intended to be published, he tells himself, Get a move on, if you have it in you, and don't worry whether anyone will give you credit for it. And don't go expecting Plato's Republic. The irony is that by getting a move on, Aurelius published something extraordinary. One of the best examples Gilbert gives is a gifted young man she knew who decided not to be a writer because the words on the page never quite matched up to the idea in his head. Gilbert writes, He said, I would rather be a beautiful failure than a deficient success. She dismisses this attitude, saying perfectionism is just a high-end haute couture version of fear. Here is Gilbert once again on the On Being podcast. I've learned to give myself all the credit in the world simply for being in motion. Um, mm. Did you do something today toward this thing? Then you're good. <laughs> you know, was it was it great? <laughs> no. Was it fun? No. Did you? But did you do it? Did you keep the ball rolling? Did you keep another step on that path going? Then you're fine. That's it. Gilbert shines a light on the issue of gender, with women often held to higher standards than men. There are fewer women in the arts, she writes, but attributes this not only to misogyny, but lack of confidence. Consider this widely circulated statistic. Men apply for a job when they meet 60% of qualifications. Women apply only when they meet 100%. While she does touch upon the impact of societal messages on women's reluctance to take wild leaps, she goes on to say, Women are the ones holding themselves back from participating in the first place. She stresses, we women must break this habit in ourselves. But arguably, rather than putting the onus on women to change their behavior, the focus should be on systemic change, encouraging girls in school, at work, within families, for instance. Nonetheless, Gilbert's argument that done is better than good will likely resonate. She uses her early work to highlight this. When she started out, she didn't strive to be a successful or great writer. She instead promised to write forever, regardless of reward. She said, I just wanted to spend my life as near to writing as possible, forever close to that source of all my curiosity and contentment. 
She kept to this promise, writing every day in her 20s after reading that John Updike said some of the best novels are written in an hour per day. She styled herself on the likes of Ernest Hemingway, Annie Prue, and Cormac McCarthy because everyone imitates before they can innovate. It was never easy, but somewhere along the journey, she started to improve. Creativity is like a muscle. You need to train it. She also started to recognize an emotional pattern to her writing process. Firstly, she would experience a bright flame of enthusiasm, which burnt out after a few weeks. Next came regret from even engaging with the idea. Self-flagellation would then snap at the heels of self-pity and would be followed by morbid thoughts about terrible reviews. Finally, when the project ended, she would be struck by the searing panic of never being able to create again. The main thing she learned, though, was to stick with it and the panic would subside. If inspiration temporarily deserted her, she'd keep working, expressing her openness to the universe and ideas. During this period of practice, Gilbert maintained a day job. It was only after her fourth book, Eat, Pray, Love, was published that she quit to become a full-time author. Why only then? She didn't want writing to be her main source of income in case it affected her creativity. She says, There's no dishonor in having a job. What is dishonorable is scaring away your creativity by demanding that it pay for your entire existence. Famously, after The Wasteland was published in 1922, T.S. Eliot continued to work as a bank clerk. Many creatives yearn for financial reward and affirmation, but there will likely be frustrations and disappointment. Gilbert says, The question is not so much, what are you passionate about? The question is, what are you passionate enough about that you can endure the most disagreeable aspects of the work? Let's take one last break. When we return, we'll conclude our book Insight on Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. We'll discuss the concept of trusting in your work and yourself. We'll have a brief recap, then consider the legacy of Gilbert's book. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memodapp.com slash insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. We're wrapping up our book insight on Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. Last time, we learned about the value of perseverance. We also broke down the idea that creativity transcends science, logic, and reason. This time, we'll discuss trust in your work and yourself. We'll review our lessons, then look at the wider implications of big magic. To live a creative life, you don't need anyone's permission but your own. Gilbert decided against taking a Master of Fine Arts in creative writing, saying, I'm not convinced that we need officially credentialed novelists. She mentions that out of the 12 North American winners of the Nobel Prize in Literature since 1901, none had an MFA. 
While Gilbert doesn't deny that some art schools are excellent, they are also eye-wateringly expensive, raising concerns that students are risking financial ruin for some sort of badge of legitimacy. Here is Gilbert herself speaking with Krista Tippett on her podcast, On Being. It's some artificial thing that you then have to get very expensive training in. um, And then you have to immediately start worrying about whether you can make a career out of this and whether you can make money out of this and whether you'll get a claim from this and whether you can continue to be recognized for this. And all of that is a very strange way to see creativity. And I would say a very new way. Investing money and time doesn't guarantee success. This debt becomes a burden, increasing the necessity for financial reward for your work. This, in turn, can dull creativity, thus reducing the chances of success, a vicious circle of shame and stress. Debt will always be the abattoir of creative dreams, she states. Ultimately, Gilbert says, no matter how great your teachers may be, and no matter how esteemed your academy's reputation, eventually you will have to do the work by yourself. Instead of throwing money at courses, Gilbert suggests engaging with the world more fully, more bravely. Draw on your own experiences, share your perspective, work on your craft every day. This makes you a creator, and you won't need to pay someone to tell you that. Most importantly, be authentic. You've probably had days where you're convinced your work is cliched, You start writing or drawing or painting only to rip up the paper in frustration. You cast your idea on the trash pile and your confidence goes with it. But so what if you're revisiting an idea that's been explored before? Gilbert believes that different generations approach the same issues and inspirations in new contexts. The idea becomes yours as soon as you put your stamp on it. Many creators put too much pressure on themselves to create the next big thing. You don't have to produce the next Mona Lisa or Ulysses. It doesn't have to be profound to be meaningful. For Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love was a cathartic endeavor. It just so happened to also become a bestseller. Let's now conclude the book insight by reminding ourselves of the key points. First, we talked about how you should lead a creative life driven by curiosity, not fear. It's about doing what you love, no matter what anyone else says or thinks. Second, we dived into the mystical and magical elements of creativity. We discussed ideas having willpower and seeking out human collaborators and how you have to be open to inspiration. Third, we looked at perfectionism how it can be a burden, and why it's more important to value perseverance. Finally, we learned how to trust in our work enough to put it out there in the world, regardless of the outcome. Upon reading Big Magic, you'll likely identify with some of the frustrations, fears, and doubts that Gilbert talks about. The book allows us to examine our own goals and aspirations, and any insecurities undermining them. Through a mix of practical strategies and personal encouragement, Gilbert not only coaxes out our creativity, but provides guidelines on how to live contentedly. Judging by her life experiences, she practices what she preaches, always abiding by the philosophy, do what makes you happy. While Big Magic is undoubtedly useful for readers on their own arc of self-discovery, it is not without its problems. 
The year-long trip for Eat, Pray, Love was funded by a $200,000 book advance, sparking questions over the calculated business nature of her spiritual exploration and criticism over her privilege. The book has been dubbed by some as Privlet. Her Brave Magic Creativity Retreat, in partnership with Cheryl Strayed, also drew headlines over the lack of diversity at the event. In response to the conversation around inclusivity, Gilbert said she wants to change how she operates and use her platform to create not only more diversity in the audience, but also on stage. In Big Magic, she appears to tackle the inclusivity issue, but comes up short on privilege. Gilbert rejects the notion that the arts belong to a chosen few, instead emphasizing, we are all the chosen few. It's reductive to dismiss the impact of social and cultural background on an individual's exposure to the arts, hence her all-encompassing viewpoint is dubious. Moreover, one's life circumstances can dictate whether they can pursue a creative life professionally. Gilbert agrees, up to a point. She recognizes that money helps to create the perfect working environment, but she also believes you can create regardless of time, resources, support, or patronage. This understanding is problematic as it ignores the nuances of privilege. While it is indeed possible to create without financial freedom, if you can actually afford to take the time and space to create, it's a hell of a lot easier. English screenwriter and actor Phoebe Waller-Bridge acknowledges the impact of her privileged circumstances. She recently recognized her background gave her the opportunity to write multi-Emmy-nominated TV series Fleabag. Waller-Bridge, who was from titled nobility and was educated at private schools, said she was able to create the script at a moment in her life where she could take the time and space to write, surrounded by people who could support that. However, she said her privilege in itself did not create Fleabag. She said, I like to think that whatever life I'd lived, wherever I'd been born or brought up, I would still have written the show if I'd been given the encouragement. While her attempt to distance the creation of Fleabag from her privilege is understandable, it is difficult to believe a poverty-stricken Waller Bridge would have had the freedom and inclination to write a TV script. Novelist Zadie Smith is more frank. When asked about how you fit art into your life, parenting, work, and everything else, her response was, have money. Author and journalist Susanna Scholler commended Smith's honesty for offering herself up as an example of the privilege success affords. Scholler said, Zadie Smith hadn't made time to work. She'd bought it. Additionally, Big Magic's belief that creating art helps you live a full life is a wonderful philosophy, but how realistic is it? In a capitalist society, where everything is driven by money and status, is it possible to be fulfilled simply by the creative value of your work without financial reward or recognition? Nonetheless, Gilbert's insistence that done is better than good is a useful mantra for creatives— other positive advice is to remain curious, realize you can be an artist even if your art doesn't pay the bills, and to simply keep plugging away. According to Gilbert, Nobel laureate Seamus Heaney eloquently summarizes her philosophy when he said, 
The aspiring poet is constantly lowering a bucket only halfway down the well, raising it repeatedly to discover nothing but air. It's frustrating. But after years of practice, Heaney added, you'll dip into waters that will entice you back. You'll have broken the surface on the pool of yourself. Thank you for listening to Book Insights. Check out the rest of our content at memodap.com. Please keep in mind that the information provided in or through our Book Insights episodes is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not intended to be a substitute for advice given by qualified professionals and should not be relied upon to disregard or delay seeking professional advice. Thank you.